0: If you standing now as we read together these words from Matthew 26, these words as Jesus celebrates the Last Supper with His disciples. Will you read with me? While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, He broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then He took a cup, and after giving thanks, He gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day, when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Andy Nelms. I am the campus pastor for One Church, our Friday night uh, church within a church that meets um, Fridays over in the chapel uh, at six thirty. And uh, I want to say good morning and welcome to church this morning. Uh, pastor Mark and Chantel are, are getting some much needed rest uh, this morning. And so we uh, pray for them as they continue to rejuvenate and um, and it is a blessing to be with you as we talk together about gratitude. We are in a sermon series about what gratitude does in our lives. We've been reading a book by Diana Butler Bass uh, called Grateful, The Life-Changing Power of Giving Thanks. And, and we've been learning how gratitude really changes us, that, that when we give thanks, it does something in our lives, that, that when we are grateful people, it starts to change who we are. Uh, we've also been talking about stewardship, how, how to honor God with what we have, and, uh, and if you're a guest with us this morning, we want to say welcome. We are, we are glad you're here. A part of this conversation will be about our finances, and, and as a community of faith and as members of this community, we have committed uh, to giving a part of our finances um, to the church, to the ministry that is happening here, and if you're a guest with us, we want to just say welcome. That's not a, uh, you're not a part of that conversation. We are just thankful that you are here. And, and if you want to talk more about what that looks like, we would uh, love to talk to you after worship. Uh, but we are talking together about how gratitude changes us. And we've been talking about the emotions of gratitude, the intention of gratitude. And, and today we talk about how when we are grateful people, when we give thanks, that that gratitude brings us together, that, that this kind of gratitude actually brings us together around other people who are also thankful. Uh, if you have your sermon notes, they're, they're inside your bulletin. You're, you're welcome to take this out if you're somebody who likes to write things down. Uh, what we are learning this week is how uh, the most sincere forms of gratitude are offered in community. The most sincere forms of gratitude are, are offered in community with other people. Um, we, we all know this, but we practice it differently. Um, maybe you uh, celebrated a, a certain college team yesterday, and, and you know that being thankful that your team is doing well looks different from the confines of your living room uh, than in the actual stadium, right? We, we, we know this, that, it, that it's fun to be grateful in our living room and kind of relaxed and you know, and that kind of thing, but it's really fun to be in the stadium, right, and cheering your team on, especially when they're doing well, and and that gratitude is sincere, and it's almost multiplied in that community that it is good whenever that kind of thing happens. Um, I experienced this this week along with several others of you. Uh, Just last Wednesday, uh, many of us went and served together at Project 66, uh, a ministry in Edmond that partners with the Regional Food Bank and actually feeds people um, all around the area, and and Luther, and Jones, and and even Edmond. And so um, we went there and learned about the different people who are served by this ministry in Project 66 just in downtown Edmond, and we, uh, we were there, and we heard about the many different people that were served by this, and as we were learning about what Project 66 does, we began to be more grateful. There were several of us there who, who had no idea what this um, group did, and, and as we began to learn more and more about it, we began to be grateful and, and thankful, and it was good for us to be together in that kind of way, because we never would have experienced this kind of gratitude together. We never would have experienced this kind of gratitude alone. And so um, there's a problem with this, especially us suburbanites. There's a problem with coming, to, with coming together. And the and problem, maybe you can relate with this. The problem is we want to be left alone. You know, like, like some of us maybe have too much contact with people throughout the day, and, and we can't wait to get home and away from other people, Right. Or, or maybe you have kids and, and the kids are constantly like on you and you're the source of entertainment and, you know, it's constant just like a barraging of questions and why, and why and why and why and why and finally whenever they go to bed, you just want to be left alone, you know? Like, please just give me this time. And, 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 and truth be told, that alone time is good. That, that is good for you and we shouldn't feel guilty about that. But we should also be aware that, that no Christian is an island. That whenever we follow Christ, whenever we commit to follow Him, that that... that commitment brings us into a community of people. It brings us into stuff like this where we come and we give thanks to God together because our thanks to God looks differently if we were to do this alone at home or if we were to come together and actually commit to a community of faith and do it like this, right? And, and, and this thing about wanting to be left alone has actually caused an epidemic in our culture, in our society, Um, The uh, former U.S. Attorney General said this, he said that we live in the most technologically connected age in the history of civilization, yet rates of loneliness have doubled since the 1980s. Do you believe this? absolutely we believe this, right? Like, we know that we are more connected. We, we are more connected now than we've ever been, right? We can know what's happening around the world. We can know what, what's happening in people's lives. Most of those people's lives, we don't really care about. You know, like, like why are we connected with them? And then, you know, they posted, and like, my dog ate today. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't care. Like, why am I connected to these people? But We are so connected with people technologically, yet we receive less physical touch today than ever, less human contact with other people. We are are more technologically connected, yet we are lonely, and this has created an epidemic in our world. This has created an epidemic in our culture. We are lonely people, and I believe that this gratitude, it might be a balm to this loneliness. It, It might be the solution to what we need in our world. And here's the thing, when it comes to gratitude, we think, well, if, if I've got to be grateful, you know, I'd rather people be grateful to me than me have to be grateful to them, right? Like, maybe you're the kind of person that you, when, when you receive a gift, you just turn around and write a thank you note just immediately, you know? Anybody, like, really good at thank you notes? Nobody is really good at thank you notes, but, you know, like... Like, maybe you are, you know, maybe you're really, really good at thinking notes, and you've got a stack, and, and, and they're just ready to go, you know, or, or if somebody holds the door open for you, you know, you're not going to be in anybody's debt, you're going to open the door, like, the next door for them, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, if somebody, like, lets you in, you know, as you're driving, you know, and the traffic's jammed, and somebody stops and is polite and waves you in, then you're really thankful, and you, you, you do, the, like, the wave at them, you know, to your back to your there, and then you let somebody else in, right, because you're paying it forward, you know, you're not in anybody's debt, that's that's how many times we think of gratitude. and We say, if we, we would prefer somebody to be in our debt rather than we be in theirs, right? I would prefer that you be in my debt. I prefer you be grateful to me. I'd prefer you to be in my debt than me be in yours. But really, when we learn about gratitude, we learn that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. That gratitude is not about debt. It is about relationships. Gratitude is not about debt. And many times we use it to barter. Many times we do good deeds for other people so that they will do good deeds for us, but that's not the way true gratitude works. It's about a relationship. It's about creating relationships with other people and about creating a relationship with God and Jesus Christ that is truly genuine and sincere. And this is what we see throughout the Bible. What we see throughout the Bible is is what we call communal gratitude. Communal gratitude about giving thanks together. And in fact, in the Old Testament, we read about there were three different times whenever the um, Israel people came together and actually offered gratitude and thanks to God. So they offered thanks to God many different times during the day. In fact, three different times during the day they they would pray to God and they would give thanks, but there were three different times when the whole people would come together. They'd come to the temple in Jerusalem and they would actually give thanks, offer sacrifices to God, and they would offer sacrifices to God. Because they knew that giving gratitude to God cost them something. To give thanks to God required something of them. And so there were three different times. One of them was Passover. It was was this time that they uh, remembered uh, that the angel of death had passed over their homes when they were in Egypt. And they gave thanks to God during that time. Another time was Pentecost, also known as the Festival of Weeks. This was the first fruits. This was when they would receive the harvest, they would give the first 10% to God. They would, they would give it to the temple and they would say, this is me thanking God for what God has done for me, right? And, and they would make sacrifices because they were giving thanks to God. Pentecost is also the day that the apostles were celebrating whenever the Holy Spirit came to them, right, and, and gave them the ability to speak in other languages so that they could preach the good news to everyone around, right? And so we now celebrate Pentecost and, and not as a first fruits holiday, but as the day that the church was birthed, that the Holy Spirit came and started what we know of as, as the Christian movement, as, as the church, And another day that Israel came together um, to give thanks to God was the festival of booths or the festival of tents. It was this time that they remembered that whenever they were in the wilderness, that they didn't have a stable home. That now that they were in Israel, they had houses, they had fields, they had everything there. But before they were in tents, they were mobile people. And so the festival of booths or the festival of tents was the time that they remembered and gave thanks that at one time they were wandering in the desert. And now they are in a stable place They are in the land that God promised them. And so they gave thanks to God. They gave thanks to God. And so all of these festivals that they gave to God were in direct opposition to what was going on around them. Uh, these other people that we call, we call pagans, right? And so the, the pagans offered, uh, the festivals offered praises to gods, multiple gods, hoping the gods would be grateful and send more blessings. Now notice how this works, right? That you would have many different gods for many different things, right? A God for the harvest, a a God for wealth, a God for good luck, a God for fertility, a God for all these different things, right? And so you would give praises to that particular God. You would offer sacrifices to that particular God, hoping that that God would be grateful to you. Right? hoping that that particular God would be grateful to you and then give you more blessings, right? give you more stuff, give you more good things. And it was this kind of reciprocal kind of relationship. You know, it's like, I'll do for you if you do for me, kind of thing. But Israel came into the world and they did something in the direct opposition to this idea, that Israel offered gratitude to the Lord, the giver of all good things. Right, and, and so, first of all, they established monotheism, mono meaning one, this, this idea of one God, and that was central to who they were, and they gave thanks to God because God was the giver of all good things. Not, now, notice they did not give thanks to God so that they would get more stuff, right? They didn't say, thank you, God, may I please have more. It was, thank you, God, because every good thing I have is already from you, and I know that you will continue to be God. Right? I, I know that you will continue to be good because that is your nature. That is your character. That is who you are. And so they offered gratitude to God, not the other way around. They didn't do good stuff for God so that God would be grateful to them. No, they gave gratitude to God. And, and this way Israel offered festivals, offered sacrifices, did gratitude to God, the way they did this is, is the way we should all live. Diana butler Bass, in, in her book says this, that the festivals modeled an alternative community an alternative community, one based in abundance and joy. Festivals are a microcosm of how life should be. All these festivals are, are a way in which our life should actually be, that every day we should be offering gratitude to God, not so that God will give us more stuff, but because God is the giver of all good things, and we should come together and be thankful." and be thankful. This looks, uh, in, this looks different in, in all of our lives. And, and most of the time, we just think about it in church, but it actually happens naturally throughout our world. Maybe you remember a couple of years ago when the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. Anybody a really big Cubs fan? There you go. Okay. And so, um, so a couple of years ago, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. Now, they had not won the World Series in 108 years. Okay, 108 years, the supposed curse uh, on the Cubs kept them from winning the World Series. And so finally when they won it in game seven, right, it seemed like the entire world had stopped. The, the entire world had stopped. And so whenever the Cubs won the World Series, three days later a, a parade was held in Chicago and it looked a little bit like this. Five million people gathered in Chicago, Five million people. Look at the crowds, just people just running throughout the town. They wanted to get to the parade uh, where the team would come running through so that they could show their gratitude and celebrate with the team. There the team is on, on, on the double-decker buses. See, again, they had won again in 108 years. And there they are, people celebrating. And an incredible time to, to be there and watch that happen. Now, there were five million people who gathered in Chicago. To put that in reference, uh, when Prince William married Kate Middleton, there were one million people who gathered in London, England. So five royal weddings equals Chicago Cubs winning the World Series, right? Like, it's, it's incredible. Now, most of us would steer clear of five million people, right? Right? Like, when we saw that many people, we would do something else. You know, we'd be like, well, I'm, I'm busy that day. You know, like, even if you're an extrovert like I am, like, I'm not going to just run and join in a group of five million people for no reason. I have to really be grateful, right? I, there has to be something that really good that has happened for me to want to be a part of that group. And that's exactly what happened. That's exactly something really good happened. And all of these people wanted to come together and show their gratitude. And I think that's what's so great about the church. You know, when we come together in worship, and and, and truth to be told, if we were to look around, if we were to interview everybody, we would realize that we are very diverse people. When we come from completely different backgrounds. Many of us are, are different politically and ideologically, and that is good news. That is good news. Because mostly throughout our day, throughout our lives, we choose our people. You know, and like the people we gather around look and act like us, and they affirm the decisions that we make, and and they do all of these things like us. Until we come to church, and we gather around a group of people who we never would have gathered around, when we come together with a group of people who we never would have met had it not been for the grace of Jesus Christ, that we come together and we show our gratitude in this way that something good must have really happened for us to want to do this thing, that we, to come to church, to uh, ground a group of people whom, with whom we disagree. Friends, that is good news. And the hope is not that we would all believe and act and look alike. The hope is that we would all come together and show our gratitude to Jesus Christ. That that is the good news. That is good news that, that Jesus knew this kind of gratitude when he, when, when he came into the world. And he, he celebrated these festivals, just like in the Old Testament we read about. He, he celebrated Passover, and specifically Passover, his last meal that he had with his disciples. He celebrated Passover. Now, Passover was meant as this sacrifice to represent this gratitude of one people for a sacrifice that was committed for one group of people at one time. And Jesus transformed it. Jesus celebrated the Passover so that the world may be grateful. So that the world may be grateful. Jesus said this this Passover meal was meant as a sacrifice for one people at one time, but I tell you now that it is completely different. That that now it is a sacrifice for all people for all time. That there was what was known during Passover, it was was called a Seder. And the Seder was what you said, it was the liturgy, it was the work of the people, the words that everybody said during the Passover meal. And and if you were a good Jewish person, you had celebrated this with your family every year. And so you knew the words. Like these are, these are good church people, right? They've got the stuff memorized. They know how to do it. They know how to do it. But when Jesus celebrated the Passover meal, he does the words completely differently. He changes the Passover Seder. And so when he takes the bread, he he changes the words. He said, this doesn't represent just like Israel, the, the body of Israel doesn't represent the body of the lamb. He said, take eat. This is my body. This is my body. And then he took the cup. There were there were many different cups of wine during the Passover Seder. This was believed to be the last one that was called the cup of blessing. And he took that and he gave thanks to it and he gave it to them. Now, now, this was typical. You would give thanks for the cup of blessing. You would do this. But then he said, "Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant." This doesn't represent the blood of the lamb again, the sacrifice for one people. This is my blood of something new that God is doing here. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Not just us, not just the good people, but for the entire world. Jesus celebrated the pastor so that the world might be grateful. And for this reason, we come together and we give thanks. And we give thanks. But Here's the thing, when we do that, in expressing our gratitude, we recognize our need for community. Again, as suburbanites, we don't like to talk about our needs. You know, we like to talk about our wants. You know, like we don't want to need community. You know, like, I like to add church on top of what I'm already doing. Uh, like, I, I want church, you know, but truth be told, God made us in a way that we actually needed community. There's actually this part of us, this inward piece that, that craves a community of people, that craves another person, that, that we need Community. We need community, and when we start expressing our gratitude to God for what He has done for us through Christ Jesus, we realize our need for community, and that's, and that's hard for us, because coming together as a community means we have to give up a piece of our individuality. Now, we are all individuals, and there is something about us that, that God has made for a specific purpose in a specific time, and that is great. When we come together in a community of faith, there's something that we have to give up in order to participate in that community, and it's true not just in church, but, it, but in everything, that participating in a community requires me to give up my individual power. It's true. So, in order to come together in a, in a community in a team, we have to give up something in order to participate in that thing. Uh, I played roller hockey uh, as a kid in, in junior high, and uh, and one of the kids on my team was we had we didn't have uh, pucks in roller hockey. It was like a small ball, and, and one of the kids on my team was a ball hog. And we ever played um, you know sports with a ball hog? Hog. Were you the ball hog? Maybe that was a better question, but um, no, no, no. And, and his name was Ethan, and, and Ethan was going to take the shot no matter where he was, right? Like as soon as he got the ball, he, he was going to shoot it. Even if he was running like the back of the rink, you know, he, he was going to take the shot. And, and you know, and that's not what it is, participate in a team, right? Because like when we when we participate on a team, we have to give up the fact that maybe we 're not going to take the shot today. then maybe we have to give it to somebody else who has a, a better shot. We have to give up part of that power in order to participate on the team. What was worse is that that ethan 's mom was a loud cheerer, you know, and like she made sure that everybody on her on that team knew that she was cheering uh, for her son. Anybody else like that and, and you don 't have to raise your hand if you do okay good so um and, and, you know, really loud. And, and so one time I was really excited because my sister, Shelby, she was going to come see me play roller hockey. And so, um, so it was playing to the game and the first period was over and I, and I skated over to, to my family there and my sister. And I said, Hey Shelby, what did you think? And, and she grabbed me by the collar and she pulled me in close and she said, take Ethan out. <laughs> and I said, Shelby, he's, he's on my team. I can't do that. And she said, I don't care. <laughs> you know, like, like Ethan's got to go. But, but like, That's what it is when we don't give up a piece of our power, when we don't give that up and say we're participating in a community, it's hard on the community, right? Like like when we come together and and we say we're going to participate in a community, but we're not going to live differently. You know, like I'm going to be a part of this thing, but I'm not going to sacrifice anything. You know, I'm going to be a part of this group of people who who are doing a communal thing, but but I'm going to, all of my prior commitments, I'm going to keep the same. You know, all of the prior things that I've been doing, I'm just going to like sprinkle this on top of it. That's not what it is to participate in a community. We have to give up a piece of our individual power. We have to give up a piece of our individual power in order to participate in that community. And our power today looks differently than it did back then. You know, back then it it might have been like, you know, fire or maybe even like the the harvest, like the, the food that they had grown or that they had killed that day. That that was their power in that time. And today our power looks differently. That today our power can be measured by our calendar and our money. By our calendar and our money. If you haven't read yet uh, Pastor Brandon's blog on our website, and he says it's the exact same thing, and I think he's right. That our power can be measured by our calendar and our money. That we get to make a lot of decisions for ourselves, especially in Edmund today. We are very privileged people. We get to lot of, make a lot of decisions about what happens with our calendar. Even our work sometimes will we'll schedule around our own calendar that we have an incredible blessing that we can control our calendar. And we get to control our money, what we do with it. And so we are asking those of you who have committed to this community of faith to consider what you do with your power and how we are going to give up that individual power, how we are going to give up a percentage of that so that we can participate in the community and build God's kingdom on this earth. Paul writes about participating in a community in in, uh, his letter to the Romans. He says, do not repay evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Paul tells us to live peaceably with everyone. And notice what he doesn't say. He, he doesn't say, wait for those people to change so that you can live peaceably with them, right? He, he doesn't say, wait for those people to do that thing, that you know, whatever that is, and then you can finally live peaceable, peaceably with everyone else. No, he says, so far as it depends on you. So far as it depends on you, because we know that the only people we can change is ourselves. ourselves. It's ourselves. And we can't even change our our, our spouse or our children or our friends. We can't change anybody. We can only change ourselves. And so as we talk about giving up our individual power, I want us to pray about what that looks like for us, not for those other people. Not for those other people that we're going to live peaceably with other people because we're going to change ourselves. And, and I don't know what this looks like in your life, uh, but I wanted to share a little bit of what, about what happens um, in, uh, in Melissa and I's home, and so I've actually asked uh, Melissa to share a little bit of her testimony of, of growing up and, and seeing, especially um, tithing, what that looks like in her house and, and how to give up that individual power. Will you help me welcome Melissa?
1: I actually got to have a really great conversation with my dad this week. We went home and visited family for a little bit over fall break. And my dad decided um, when he was raising his family that he was going to talk about money with his kids. He wanted us to know uh, what spending was like and what money management was like in our home. And so from an early age, we knew when things were tight. We knew when things were going well. We also knew that my parents gave, that it was very important to them when they had me and joined the church and had me baptized that they were giving a full tithe to the church. They were committed. They were invested. And they wanted us to know that and see that. And so I saw generosity lived out in that way in a big way my whole life. Um, I actually remember some of my favorite memories are from when I was really young, and we would be decorating the Christmas tree, and I didn't realize it at the time, but my parents had made a very intentional choice not to buy the lights and all of the fancy ornaments, and so we were making garland out of, out of popcorn and cranberries so that they could continue giving to the church, they could continue being generous and share with other people, and our house was full. Our house was full of friends and family and laughter and love and all of those things, and they were able to open their home and open their hearts to more people and share with more people because they were intentional about those decisions that they made with their money. And so I saw that growing up and had a great appreciation for that and for my parents sharing that with me. Um, But Andy and I actually didn't practice tithing for a couple years after we were married, uh, we got married while we were seniors in college, and then I had a victory lap and did a, a fifth year. Um, as I finished up school, Andy was working full time, and I was working full time as well. We were working really hard and uh, wanted to control our finances. And, um, and so we hadn't really committed to a church home, we hadn't committed to a place where we felt like we belonged and wanted to give to. Um, but the minute Andy decided that he was going to stay in Oklahoma and go to seminary here um, and take an appointment at our Church, Nichols Hills, um, we sat down and we had a conversation and we talked about what tithing was going to look like for us. And I am um, the oldest child in my family, so I'm very much a rule follower, very obedient in my personality. Um, and I'm also kind of like an all-in or all-out kind of person. That's my personality. I come that by that naturally. My dad had a lot of that in him as well. And so when we had that conversation, we decided we were going to be all in. If we were going to preach it, we were going to practice it. And so we started tithing 10% um, from the moment we found out. And um, That's great for us. It may not be good for your family. You might need to kind of grow into that. Uh, But for us, we just decided we're going to give this 10% right off the bat, first of the month, and we're going to live off the rest of it, Um, which gave us um, the opportunity to have some really great conversations and make some really intentional choices about how we were going to spend the rest of that money. But the great thing that happened is that when we decided to give that to the church, um, we weren't just biding our time anymore. We actually found family at our church. We found relationships. We found that we were invested in the lives of those people and in the ministries of that place, and it was a great joy for us. And so it went from being an issue of control and controlling our finances and controlling the decisions that we made, and this issue of obedience for me, um, to really a place of joy and blessing that we wanted to share that with other people. And we found that in that church home, and have continued to practice that. And uh, and hopefully our children see that as well. They see the choices that we're. We're making to make that possible, and I love it because now our home feels like the home that I grew up in. It's full of people, it's full of friends and family, and we're able to share with the people that need it, and we're able to provide a safe place and a loving um, place for people to come and gather. And it's really been a blessing to us. And hopefully, um, you find that blessing in your old life so if you start having those conversations in your own home about tithing and and how you're going to give.
0: Will you help me think, Melissa? So I want to let you know that, you know, we're not asking you to do something that Melissa and I and, and Pastor Brandon and Pastor Mark are, aren't also participating in, that, that we believe in this, and so much so that we ourselves are doing it. And so I want us to just think about this this week and, and just ask ourselves, maybe for the rest of our lives, that we might ask, how, how does my gratitude draw me into community? How does what I'm thankful for draw me around other people who are thankful? Because when we start gathering around other people who are thankful, we in turn will be more grateful, and, and we, this will become a, a cycle, It just over and over again, it will multiply. And so how does our gratitude draw us into community? And finally, if you're committed to Acts 2, if you say, this is my church home, I want to ask you to prayerfully consider giving a percentage of your income in 2019. There's an estimate of giving card in your, in your bulletin. I hope that you'll take that home and, and talk about it and pray about it. And what does that mean? If you committed to membership at Acts 2, we've committed to say that we will give a percentage of our income with the intention that, that by five years from when we joined, we will be at a tithe giving 10% of our income. And I ask you to pray about that pray about that. And, and if this is something in a conversation that, that's really upset you, uh, my name is Mark Foster and I would love... No, um... no, really, like my hope is not this. this would be the last conversation, right? That, that we would get mad and, and then kind of storm out. But this would be something that continues because this is not a once and for all conversation. This is a like rest of our lives conversation, right? Because we have surrounded ourselves with many things and, and many protections from the world around us. And the point about this is giving a part of that up to God because we know that there is nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we can do to ensure our eternal safety, that truly God has blessed us. Uh, When we talk about this idea of gratitude, this idea of giving thanks, I'm reminded um, of a professor of mine um, named Dr. Starkey. Uh, In in college, I had a professor and was was a great man. Both Pastor Brandon and I um, had him in college. And uh, he, was a, uh, he was a Quaker, uh, former Jesuit priest in the Catholic Church, um, a brilliant man, very soft-spoken, and, and, and an incredible person. And, and he had this idea about generosity that seems to be unparalleled in my, in my life and from what I've seen of other people. Um, I remember one time I went to visit uh, Dr. Starkey in his office. I was uh, getting ready to write a paper, and so I was going to talk to him about what this paper was about and how to do this kind of thing. And, and as I'm talking to him about this idea, um, you know, and he's thinking and he stands up and he, and he starts to grab books off of his shelves. Now, if you've ever been to a professor's office, you know how important their books are to them, right? And so Dr. Starkey's office was, unlike, was like all other professors, that, that his office was just wall-to-wall uh, books. And in fact, he had made these special shelves in his office so that he could, you know, get books even behind his door. That, that, you know, floor-to-ceiling, wall-to-wall books throughout his entire office. And as I'm there talking about this paper idea, he's pulling books off of his shelves and, he, and he's laying them on his desk. And, and, and he says, you know, these are some books that I think will help you. And, and he says, you know, whenever, whenever you're done with them, you know, give them back, please. And, and I said, okay, I will. And, and then he stopped and he kind of chuckled and he, and he said, well, you know, most students don't even bring them back. And then he looked around the walls of his office, surrounded by these books, and he said, to be honest, I would give away every one of these books if it meant that a student would learn something. This professor had insulated himself with all of these books. that This represented the, the base of knowledge that he had. He said, I would give away every single one of these if it meant that another person might gain something. What have we insulated ourselves with? What is that thing we use to protect ourselves in the world around us? And what will we give up in order to ensure that the kingdom of God Comes to this earth. Let us pray. God, we are grateful. We give you thanks for what you have done for us through Jesus Christ. Lord, that you gave your whole life for us so that we could have a relationship with you. God, we pray that you would send down your Holy Spirit to us now. God, that in these moments you begin to understand more of who you are of what you meant through Jesus Christ, of what your word means for our life, God, and I pray that your word would be a light unto our path. God, that your Holy Spirit would guide us, would shape us and mold us, that we would understand now and and begin to understand more, that you would bless our our conversations with you now, that we would bless our conversations in our homes as we continue to pray about what this looks like in our life, God, that, that you would hold us in the palm of your hand, that you would protect us, that you would surround us with your hedge of protection, God, that in these times we would understand your will for our life. And God, most of all, I pray for courage to live into that future that you have promised us. And I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, who came and lived and taught us even how to pray by saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation